if you really mean that you want to be an ally, no matter how tempting it is, and that you know the answer, let someone else talk. You have to make way. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the hard work, dedication, and diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente Northern California. I'm your host, Carrie Owen Pleats. We've seen such tragedy and heartache in California in recent weeks, so we're humbled to learn our podcast on gratitude provided some small level of support. Our listener and colleague Tina writes, I'm thinking of the mass shooting a short ways away from me in Half Moon Bay. It is important to also remember gratitude in times of sorrow. Thank you, Tina. It is times like these when we really do need an attitude of gratitude. Now, on to this episode. How can we be better allies for one another, for our families and in our community? Today, as we celebrate Black History Month, we have not one, but two fantastic guests to talk about allyship, what it is and why it's important. Let's start with Dr. Nicole Barnett, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Nursing Executive at KP's Richmond Medical Center. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive, Nicole. Hello, Carrie, and thank you so much for inviting me to the conversation today. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. And let me start out by saying you've been with Kaiser Permanente for almost 27 years. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you so much. It'll be 27 years in May. It's just nothing but a blessing all along the way. So just really excited to be celebrating 27 years soon. I love that. And it's so great to have you. We are absolutely blessed. So we're talking about allyship. What is allyship? There are some interesting definitions of allyship that are out there and the world of equity, inclusion and diversity, the language is ever evolving. So you have to think about what do these things mean to you? And for me, allyship simply starts with empathy. It means feeling what the other person or group is feeling and experiencing and then caring enough to make a positive difference. And allies can make a positive difference when you have that sense of empathy for others. And you're more likely to recognize mistreatment. You're more likely to recognize microaggressions. Empathy actually opens up not only our eyes, but our hearts, and also requires that we act in a way that demonstrates allyship. You know, I think sometimes people confuse sympathy and empathy. Yes. And I always have this in my mind, this visual of a person being at the bottom of a hole or a cave. And when you have sympathy for somebody, you're standing up and you're looking down and being so sympathetic that this individual is in the hole. But empathy means you get in that hole with the individual. That means I'm going to be with you. It's just different. And I think sometimes people confuse it. So thank you for bringing out the importance of empathy in this discussion. You know, you mentioned also microaggression and mistreatment. I wonder if you could give us an example of how we might experience that in a hospital. They can show up in a lot of different ways. And sometimes they show up from a patient towards a member of the healthcare team. They can even happen between members of the healthcare team. An example would be when a team member expresses frustration about a patient needing to have interpreter services. And that team member might feel it's an imposition to have to go and get the equipment or make a call or do a video. And that comes across to the patient, comes across in our body language, comes across in language choice, and that can be received as a microaggression. It can also show up when a patient is misgendered, when they show up for a visit. 
And when there are intrusive questions asked about what's in the medical record and and how they're presenting, and we really have to have more empathy for that. We have to be able to educate around that because we have great people that work on our teams. They don't want to disrespect other individuals, but it takes education to really know when you're making that misstep that turns out as a microaggression against another person. Another common example in healthcare is when the female on the team is misinterpreted to be the nurse rather than the doctor, when actually it could most likely be the doctor. Same thing when the male is the nurse. In my personal experience as a young Black nurse, I remember many times where the patient would walk in or I'd walk into the room and the patient would say, so let me know when the nurse is coming. And then I would have to you know, kindly say, well, I'm your nurse today and I'm happy to take care of you today. Thank you, Nicole. Let's expand this conversation to include Dr. Erwin DeLeon, Chief Diversity Officer at Columbia University School of Professional Studies. Hi, Erwin. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for inviting me. Delighted to be here. And I'm already excited to jump into all the discussion around allyship and microaggression and what have you. Great. Well, let's start there. What does allyship mean to you? Well, I want to build on what you both said. Definitely, it starts with empathy. But I think part of the coming down and being with a person would be to educate yourself. To get to empathy, you must have a certain understanding of the other person's situation. Another thing I think with allyship is, so usually when we think you're an ally, you would come to the defense of someone or call someone out. Like, let's just say you were in a lunchroom and a colleague says something untoward or, you know, we no longer say that. Then you would say, hey, you know, that's not funny or however way that is. That's how we normally think of allyship. But it occurred to me that a big part of it is really getting out of the way. Mm. Because, (laughs) you know, we've seen this, okay, I'm going to be hard on my fellow men, but men tend to mansplain. And I've seen that and I actually catch myself. So I identify I'm a brown man, I'm a gay man, but I'm still a man. And I catch myself sometimes talking over my women colleagues but it's part of growth. I've only come to that realization lately. Like the past few years, I'm like, oh my gosh. And this is part of modeling proper behavior. Here I am working and I'm doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that made me realize that allyship really, part of that is actually stepping aside as well and letting people shine. And and in a more serious note, you have to make way because if you belong to a certain group, that has been advantage or privilege for the longest time. If you really mean that you want to be an ally, no matter how tempting it is, and that you know the answer, let someone else talk, particularly if it's about their group or their identity, then this is connected to implicit bias and unconscious bias. And we need to understand what are ideas about other groups? Like in my case, what are my ideas about women, about other people of color or what have you? Because that's where microaggressions come in. Erwin, you made a good point, made me remember a wonderful book that I read some years ago when you talked about mansplaining. And it talked about in professional situations when men and women are together having a conversation or in the boardroom having a meeting, that women communicate verbally and non-verbally differently than men. And that, just like you said, as an ally, that you would take a pause and allow other voices into the conversation. 
The book was called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And she said how we can support one another as women in that situation is when you see the guys having a conversation and we're not in it, or a woman steps up and makes a suggestion. And then, you know, a couple of beats later, you hear a gentleman in the room actually repeat what she said as if it, they heard it the first time. As a woman, you can pick up on that because it's a type of microaggression and you can lean into that and say, gentlemen, thank you for repeating what this young lady said here. What a great idea. It's a way of gently calling it out, offering an opportunity to sort of interrupt the microaggression, but also graciously saying there's still room to collaborate together and move forward. Nicole, as you're saying that, I've been in those situations where I kind of just looked at the people next to me saying, didn't I just say that? <laughs> it happens. It also takes confidence to call it out. And I'm wondering if you could maybe just explore that a little bit more. Where does that confidence come from? Do you think that's inherent? Do you think that's maybe what allyship can help with? I think it can help. I think we're all on a journey of becoming more comfortable and confident with it. I couldn't name a person who would say, I'm totally confident and comfortable in this space. I can call it out when I see it and I can receive direction when I make a misstep and I can be gracious in receiving that direction. We're all on this journey together and it can be very uncomfortable at times, but when you feel it, that's when it's time to lean into that discomfort because it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to educate ourselves and others. And it's going to be uncomfortable until we come to a point where we've created a more equitable society. And these happen less and less often. I would like to add, though, that power differentials, even in a meeting. So bear in mind that if you're of a disadvantaged identity or person, so you're already dealing with that. And then if there's a power differential, it might be hard to call someone else. And so that's where allyship comes in, because those who might not only have the confidence, but don't have the risk, are not taking any risk and speaking out. This also relates to another issue that's very important in their work, psychological safety, where you want every member of your team and your organization feel safe to say what they think without fearing that they lose their job or what have you. I come from the Philippines where we deal a bit differently. When I got to the U.S., I learned early on that if I don't become a bit more aggressive, especially in New York, and just talk over someone right away, <laughs> then I won't be heard. I have similar situations where people look at me. I run the business, they enter the business, and then they look at my white subordinate and think that that's the manager. So I've learned that I need to, and I'm not a big man, so I really need to jump in. And I think also at the same time I realized that I was mansplaining was how I was beginning to act like a privileged white male. Because I realized if I don't start acting like them, I will easily not be heard. You can help Kaiser Permanente's commitment to advance equity and address systemic racism by participating at Belong at KP. The program helps participants recognize biases in their own thinking and actions, as well as provides tools to think and act more inclusively. Sign up today by going to our show notes. Now back to our conversation. So Erwin and Nicole, can you describe, maybe I'll start with you, Nicole, can you describe how you incorporate allyship in our lives at work, but also your personal life as well? Yeah, when I think about work, there are as many ways that we can show up as allies as there are ways to be diverse and different from one another. And the way that the microaggressions present themselves can be just as diverse as we all are in the way we show up in the workplace. 
Some specific examples are when nurses who speak a native language other than English are told you can't use that language in the workplace, or we don't know what you're saying, and so we want to make sure that you're not talking about something that isn't work-related. Other examples, I learned of this example from another healthcare colleague who would come in and because Spanish is her native language, she would greet the team that was setting up her OR in Spanish. Hola, como esta? And they would respond back to her and she was literally reprimanded. But it was a way of demonstrating allyship towards those individuals. It's a way of seeing them, as Irwin said, just to be able to say, I'm here with you. I see you. I appreciate you. Just to provide that greeting in a native language seems so harmless, but can come across as a microaggression from others who call it out as if it's something inappropriate. And in those moments where we see these things unfolding, we can be a bit taken aback. But when it hits you like that and that discomfort rises up in your gut, you can lean into it and simply say, hey, that didn't land well. Can we just take a pause and talk about that? Simple things like that can help to interrupt that microaggression but then open up a gracious opportunity to have a conversation and redirect and support the individual who is microaggressed against and demonstrate allyship, but also not vilify the individual who committed the microaggression. Erwin, I mean, this is what you do. <laughs> you just highlighted just even a couple of years ago that you're still growing and developing. Can you talk a little bit more about how you use it at work? I am fortunate because I've reached this point where, yes, in spite of, or maybe because of, who I am and how I look and my background, I am in a position of some privilege, particularly with the work, with diversity work. And when ideas, let's say in the team or in the DIA committee, which is made of volunteer folks, and someone comes up with a great idea, I'm not going to take it. I actually make it a point because I've been there where somebody else in a meeting took my idea. And I'd be like, wait, 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 what just happened there? So now I actually make it a point and in public that just want to say thank you so-and-so for coming up with this wonderful idea. Small things like that. So think of it. The three of us are in good positions, as it were, to uplift people, particularly people who ordinarily will be overlooked. So that's how I do it as the chief diversity officer, but also in the classroom. So I also teach some courses. So I'm full-time faculty as well in the nonprofit management program. We're lucky we have course associates. These are folks who actually have master's degrees. I treat them as equals. I make sure that the students and everyone knows that, no, 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 this person is not an assistant. This person is a co-instructor who actually brings into the classroom so much experience and what have you. So for me, it's about just as people made way for me and a lot open doors for me, that's how I show allyship. And it's usually, yes, towards BIPOC folks, women, and other identities that are normally underestimated. You're talking about lifting other voices, respecting other voices. It goes back to your comment early on, which is move out of the way and let their voices come to light. Speak up culture is the absolute epitome to ensure we have a high quality and safe environment to care for our patients. So thank you so much for highlighting the importance of speak up culture just collectively across the board. Nicole, I wanted to ask you, you play an important role on our business resource groups. What role do you think the BRGs play in allyship? Oh, the BRGs are amazing. We're fortunate because at KP, we have so many. In fact, there are like 10 or more BRGs right now. And the oldest one has been in place since like 1989. 
each of these BRGs are lined around a different area of affinity. So you can self-select as a KP employee what speaks to your heart and how you want to engage. And you can be a member of more than one BRG, which is exciting as well. So our affinity groups can be around race. They can be around gender identity and sexual orientation, veteran status, generational status, where you are generationally. It's just, it's amazing. So you can find your fit. Our BRGs are safe places where employees can express their authentic selves and be celebrated for the uniqueness that they bring to the KP family. They also offer pathways for networking and leadership development and career exploration. And many of our BRGs are also actively engaged in sponsoring cultural education events, as well as external community-based outreach, even during the pandemic, providing COVID education through virtual resources. So by doing all of this, they help prepare all of us to expand our awareness of the ways we can express our allyship every day, not just at work, but also extend that into the community as well. I wanted to talk a little bit about also belong at KP, a little bit about what is the responsibility of Kaiser Permanente in this space. I believe our responsibility is to be stewards of our mission. Kaiser Permanente exists to provide high quality, affordable healthcare services and to improve the health of our members and the communities we serve. It doesn't say which part of the community, it doesn't say which members, it doesn't say I'm going to focus on our particular groups. It is in order to truly fulfill our mission. It's about being ally to every single beautiful, diverse individual that we have the privilege to serve. Belong at KP is so important because part one is building that foundation for us. And that foundation started with understanding and addressing bias, which is absolutely, like Erwin said, implicit bias. We have to understand what that is, address it so that we can move forward. And it's important for us to have this organizational commitment around this education, not just for the symbolic value of it, but it drives cultural change. It drives a change towards really building more equitable workforce, the types of relationships where we see everyone for the value that they bring. And it really builds a foundation where we can move towards even behavioral goals around how we show up as leaders. I absolutely agree. I end every podcast episode asking the same question of all of our guests. What one piece of advice would you give our team to heal from the past three years of this pandemic? Where would you start, Nicole? It's a privilege, first of all, that we all hold that we can be allies for one another. But we also have an opportunity to give each other grace in that process. And I think going into these conversations and being ready to show up in a more courageous way is going to require us to lean in to some discomfort but it's going to also require us to be just as willing to receive correction when we have a misstep as we are to provide it in a graceful way to others. We have been through so much in the past three years. We've been through so much collective trauma, and we just have to realize that out of this has come the benefit and the opportunity to address this racial reckoning in our country and the peace that we can provide one another as we move forward in that culture change is to provide one another grace on that journey. Irwin, what would you say? I was about to say amen. <laughs> amen, sister. <laughs> We're all people. We're all just trying to live our lives. It's been a rough two, three years, but let's try to see each other. Whatever way we can, hold each other up. Beautiful. I'd love to thank both of you so much for being on the podcast. Dr. Erwin DeLeon, Chief Diversity Officer at Columbia University School of Professional Studies, 
and Dr. Nicole Barnett, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Nursing Executive at Kaiser Permanente's Richmond Medical Center. It's been such a pleasure to have both of you. Thank you so much again. Appreciate your time. Thank you. This podcast is one of many resources to support your well-being, including the Ginger app. It's part of the suite of self-help apps we offer to KP employees who are also members. You can find additional resources from physical health tools to mental health support on how to thrive at work on HR Connect under benefits slash well-being. In our show notes, you'll also find a list of our BRGs to get involved with, along with a Harvard Business Review article on seven ways to practice active allyship. I started this episode reading a comment from a listener, and I'd like to invite you to share what's on your mind. Ask a question or suggest a topic or guest. Send it to livewellandthrive at kp.org. And whether you're listening on your commute or during a down moment, keep those comments coming. And of course, I'd like to thank you, our listener, for tuning in to Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the hard work, dedication, and diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente. I'm Carrie Owen Pleats, and we'll see you next time.